There is an Episcopalian priest in New York City whose sermons I enjoy listening to on a regular basis. I enjoy his sermons mainly because he's the sort of preacher that I want to be. He's challenging, learned, logical. You get a sense when he speaks that he has a lot of experience and wisdom behind his words. Now, I was looking forward to hearing his sermon last Sunday, since the Catholic and Episcopalian lectionaries followed the same cycle of readings. In other words, I was eager to hear what he had to say about Peter, especially since the very foundation of the Episcopalian religion is the rejection of papal authority. I was, however, disappointed to discover that he gave the same argument most Protestant scholars give when faced with the words of Christ in the 16th chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel. You, In their minds, the rock on which the church is built is not Peter, but Peter's confession. You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Their evidence for this is contained in this Sunday's Gospel, that Christ very quickly gives Peter another title, Satan. Anyone, however, who has looked at the Greek of Scripture can very quickly unravel their argument. The very name our Lord gives, Simon, literally means rock, Petros, Peter. So essentially, Christ uses the word rock twice in the same sentence, differing it only by gender, the Greek word Petra being feminine. Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are rock, Petros. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. Peter truly is the rock in which Christ chose to build up his church. But that still leaves us begging the question, why does Christ call Peter Satan? And like most scriptural conjuries, it's good that we consider this passage in the light of whole scripture. There is another time in St. Matthew's Gospel when Jesus will say the same thing, away from me, Satan, his temptation in the desert. At that moment, Satan tempted Christ to fulfill worldly desires for food and power. Likewise, in the same gospel, as Christ hangs upon the cross, the priest will, and scribes will tempt Christ, saying, If you are the Christ, the Son of God, come down from the cross. Now, Jesus' rebuke to Peter is not directly aimed at Peter himself, but at his words, at his temptation to forego the passion. Peter is, of course, well-meaning. He has just confessed his great faith in the identity of Christ. But that confession, that Christ is the Son of the living God, was revealed not by flesh and blood, but by God himself. Peter was able to make his confession because he was given the words by God. Here, Peter intends to do right, but he uses his own words, and those words come up short. Often, our understanding of how to live the Christian life or what sort of demands are really made on us by God might be well-intentioned. But faced with the standard of the gospel, it ends up coming short. St. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, speaks of the Christian as being transformed by the renewal of the mind, that the Christian may discern what is the will of God, what is good, pleasing, and perfect. Elsewhere in St. Matthew's Gospel, our Lord commands that we be perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect. For most people, the concept of a human being becoming perfect is almost a joke. Surely, they say. A well-intentioned Catholic could understand Christ's words to mean that we need to be the best we can be, and that'll be enough. But let me ask you, ought married couples expect perfect fidelity from one another? Does the government not expect that we will perfectly pay our taxes? Do we not speak of perfect attendance of children in schools? No, Peter, you are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. God expects a good bit from us more than coming to Mass on Sunday, more even than praying in the secrecy of our own homes. 
God expects us to be like him, and not like the other people of the world. The prophet Jeremiah understood this. He writes, All the day I am an object of reproach and laughter. Everyone mocks me. The words of the Lord have brought me derision and reproach. It becomes like fire burning in my heart. I grow weary holding it in. I cannot endure. Anyone who's really tried to become holy can sympathize with Jeremiah's words. The Christian life is demanding. It often requires difficult decisions and sometimes even in a public element of shame. Shame like being the only one of your friends who won't go see that new movie everyone is talking about. Shame like being the only one in the office that can't eat meat on Friday. Or shame we may feel from making the sign of of the cross in a restaurant. These may seem like small things now, but we know that it is often the case that when the moment arises for us to make a Christian decision, it is often difficult for us to take that step. It's easier to think like human beings do and not as God. But just as it would have been easy for Christ to simply come down from the cross, he endured and expects us all to do the same. Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, says the Lord. And this brings us back to Peter. Even though Peter might have got it wrong when considering the passion that Christ was meant to endure, he's still the rock, and the church which is built upon him shall not be overcome by hell, as we heard promised in last week's gospel. We as Christians are a part of a community, and though each of us must carry our own cross, all of us carry the cross behind Christ, and all of us carry the cross together. So while Christ gave Peter as the rock of the church, the church must be our rock, especially when the Christian life is difficult. I know from my own experience that when I'm struggling to do the right thing, the best help I can get is by sharing my struggle with someone else. For some things, that might be as easy as coming to Mass on Sunday. It might be helpful to come on classes when we have them on Wednesday nights, but the more difficult struggles of our faith often require a bit more. Participation in the sacraments, for instance, sacrament of confession, or even building some sort of group within the parish to address a situation. Already many groups like this exist in our community, and for several generations these sorts of groups were aids in the faith faith life of Catholics. But most parishes today are facing similar questions, the main which is, where are the young people? Why are young people not desiring to be active in the faith anymore? I think one answer to this is that people in my generation are starting to realize just how bad of a situation the world is in right now. Just look at the news, look at what is emphasized in the news and what is not. My generation is realizing that if we're going to have any hope for the future, it's going to mean a radical shift from the way the world intends us to live. I posted photos on our Facebook and Instagram accounts this weekend of young men giving their lives to become Benedictine nuns in northern Missouri, one of the fastest-growing communities of nuns in the country, a community where most of the sisters are in their late 20s, and the monastery doesn't have internet access. My own seminary in New Orleans is the fastest-growing and second-largest seminary in the country, and the seminarians there have 17 hours of Eucharistic adoration a week. If we are going to be truly Christian, in this day when being Christian is not only difficult but often deemed offensive by people, we cannot conform ourselves to this age. We have to take up our cross. It's not going to be sufficient to go to Mass. The world needs to be, have truly strong Christian communities once again, and it's our duty to ourselves and to future generations to start being intentional about living the Christian life. And that means we need to encourage one another on their path to holiness. We need to stick to the truth, even when it means facing the mockery of those around us. 
and we need to make sure that our only true desire is for God. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, says the Lord, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it.